0: Coffee Break with New York Wiki. I'm your host, Julie Hockheiser-Ilkovich. Today we're here with Jennifer Owens from Spring Street. Jennifer, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you for having me. It's great. So before we dive in, I'd love to hear just what your title is and a little bit about what Spring Street is is, for those of us who are not as familiar. Great. Uh, well, so I'm the editor of Spring
1: Street, so I am leading the content team and uh, kind of everything else that has to happen, because we're new, and uh, we're there's always something new to be done, and so the buck stops here. Mm-hmm. So Spring Street is a new women's site. It is uh, serving women 30-plus, and uh, it's covering all the things that we're interested in, politics, parenting... Gwyneth Paltrow, you know, whatever we're interested in, we're going to cover it. And uh, we're looking at it through a filter of optimism and positivity. It's, you know, we're even every day figuring out what that means. Right. You know, because it doesn't mean Pollyanna, it means smart and it could be sassy, but it's never snarky.
0: Right. And isn't that what we need right now is just optimism. (laughs) I was, when you said that, I'm like, yes, I would just like to read something that's Positive, optimistic. Great. Right? And then um, so our founder,
1: so we're part of the Mamma Mia Women's Network, which is the largest women's media company in Australia, and they're 10 years old and they uh, uh I think it's 25% of all Australian women are on their site. They're huge wow. and they're very influential. And so we're their gambit into the US and we uh there was a soft launch in the fall and we officially uh, Unveiled ourselves in February, and you know when the founder Mia Friedman, who uh, her one of her initial claims to fame is she was the youngest editor of Cosmo at 24, Cosmo Australia. Wow! Oh She's my gosh! She's quite amazing, and she hasn't stopped innovating ever since. And when she came over to the U.S., she talked to a lot of women, and even then, she thought, "Oh, we we need a safe haven." Like a place where we can get information we want and be smart, but, you know, that we're just not attacking each other, that the, you know, there's enough bad news, attacking news out there. We don't need it. You know, where can we go and get stuff and just, you know, try to make the world a better place for women and girls. How can we do it? And so Spring Street is her vision. And so I am honored to
0: be asked to execute on it. It's amazing. How did they decide to jump into the U.S. market? Like, where kind of were they seeing a void, or how was that decision made? Well, so,
1: one, she saw the um, the idea that the the negativity was yeah. starting to rise. And, um, you know, the Australian market, it, like, they cannot imagine what it's like now in our current political climate here. And they're shocked and, you know, are constantly saying, what is it? And so, uh, so she heard that. But also, uh, they're very successful as a business um, in terms of sponsored content. Their podcasts are incredibly successful. And they just thought they'd like to try a new market. They'd like to go into other countries as well. This is their first one. They have plans for others. And so she just thought, A, the sense of covering what is important to women, but also looking at that moment in your life where it gets – overly fulfilled mm-hmm. when you're you know you've been running so fast to get that first job to get into your career and you made it and you're maybe a job or two in and now maybe you know you are getting married maybe you're pregnant having a baby maybe uh your parents have an illness maybe you're trying to think about, well, now what what's my next career move? And it's a confusing time. And there's so much content pointed towards young millennials that I felt, I know that I have always felt that way. You step into this moment where you're ignored, Mm -hmm. you know, and it's that point, you're not the CEO and you're not the executive assistant in your first job. There's that whole middle part of your career and middle part of your life. And beyond like, Um, how to get my baby to sleep, you know, and, and that sort of uh, content. What about the rest of it? You know, how do I keep my friends? How do I, you know, talk to my partner when the baby comes and I'm working a job or I'm trying to switch careers. I went three jobs in and now I'm like, this is not my passion. These are very interesting times. And so those are the women that we're focused on.
0: That's great. I mean, I think, we're seeing across the board that is just a kind of like missing piece. It's like you're very there's magazines for young women and fashion and it's very exciting and then it kind of stops and then it's like maybe older even because this isn't even quite mid-career, right? It's a little bit younger than right. mid-career. You're
1: starting to you're starting to go into it. And right. so like how do I become a manager? Or I just became a manager. And what's it like to now run the team I was once part of? Or how do I, you know, even as you get a little older, you know, how do you switch careers or how do you take a different tact? Um, We just had a story recently, you know, how do you tell your partner you want to quit? You know, like that's a lot different than when you're 27 and and you think, you know, I'm out, right? you know, I'm going to, I'm doing this.
0: everyone relies on you, you have people. I'm going to leave and
1: I'm going to go take this trip and I'm going to, you know, now you're, I mean, it's not that you're weighed down, but you're certainly, you're, you're you're touching way more pieces of a life as you get older and, and, um, it's complicated. And so how do you navigate those complications? And that's also the time uh, in your career that you can feel ignored, you know, that you put your head down, you worked as hard as you can, and maybe you got promoted once, maybe even twice. And then you think, boy, no one's, you know, how am I going to get, how am I going to make that leap? Or how did that person get there? Or, and so that's the type of moment. It's kind of that moment that that was about the age where I looked up and someone said to me at the company I was working at that, um, all the underlings were women, all the, maybe the first level editors, there were some women. And then all the, um, near top, top were men. Yeah. The executives were men. And I never, (laughs) thought of it. Like I was just so into my own thing and, you know, right. achieving my own thing that I hadn't really realized it, you know, it's so, and I am a little embarrassed to say how many jobs in it was until someone pointed that out to me. And so, okay, so now you've noticed it, what do we do? And that's what we want to help with.
0: Let's talk about your job trajectory. How sure. you got here, or, you know, where you started from school to your internships throughout your media career and what kind of brought you to a startup?
1: Yes. Oh, geez. Um, well, uh, so I went to Northwestern. I went to Medill School of Journalism, a school so nice I went there twice. <laughs> nice. So uh, I came out, I graduated into a recession. Super cool. Uh, and I went into newspapers because you know that was where the true journalists went, right? Of right? I mean, that was the calling. So um, I chose a dung field and went into that. So uh, I. Um, worked in straight up general newspapers, moved to bigger markets, and eventually uh, ended up in the D.C. Bureau of Women's Wear Daily. And eventually they made me the Capitol Hill reporter uh, against my protests. I actually said no to it originally because I was scared of politics. I didn't fully understand it. What
0: does the Capitol Hill reporter of Women's Wear Daily report on?
1: labor and trade. Uh, So, you know, all of that, you know, all that stuff that has gone over to China, you know, China at the time, it was 85% of footwear is made in China, you know, apparel in Honduras and Macau, it's international trade is hugely important to manufacturing and, and, um, retail. And then you have, um, uh, they also owned like supermarket news so like how food and agriculture is coming and then labor rules because retail is still uh you know you still need someone on the floor to actually sell your products okay. so so i did all that and that was the moment where my journalism education in real life actually really began they the importance of being first and um it was fast and aggressive fairchild uh really was great. And I had so much autonomy because I was out of the Senate press gallery that it was just great. You know, I'd call in and say, these are the stories. And I had to know what they actually were, but, you know, and, and write them. And so I did that for a while. And then, um, I met the man who would become my husband and I moved to New York and I, I kind of went down a path of trade. I was at ad week. Um, I was at, well, first at folio and then ad week and, I was at Footwear News again. Um, I was a managing editor there. And I kind of got to the point where I thought I started to get envious of – you know, that's always a point in my career where I think, well, I like how I like how that job's going. Right. Like, I wish, <laughs> what's that person doing? And first I get envious and then I think, oh, maybe this is telling me something. Right. And so uh, I got to the point where I wanted to get into consumer. Like, how did I get this far into being, you know, like I'm on my fourth trade right. reporting job. It's as much fun and as much as I learned, but come on. So um, the only place I could get hired at the time uh, was this wonderful place, Soho Publishing, which is Knitting and crochet magazines.
0: I'm telling you, these these specific niche magazines. They can be the place. The boat place knitting. To be. They own boat yep. knitting. Boat knitting still goes strong, and they do these wonderful events. And um, uh,
1: they are just they do creative stuff. And it was great fun. And it's interesting that part of it is as as pretty as it is and creative as it is. There's a technical writing for the patterns. That was a whole new world. And they also did custom publishing. And we did a a sewing magazine for the Hancock Fabrics chain and um, figure magazine for the Avenue chain for plus size retail. And it was just, it was an interesting, you know, you always learn something new. So that led to a custom title I did for the Vera Bradley brand at Time, Inc., which um, was the most beautiful magazine. I've I can ever. only imagine. I wish we could so see it right now. So <laughs> much money. It was so beautiful. with beautiful photography, which lasted way too short. And uh, they pulled the plug on it because I think they said, now how much money is <laughs> But who knows? Uh, and then I landed at Working Mother as special projects director. And then I was there for almost a decade. And eventually, um, through a series of promotions and taking on and Um, The recession hit. We lost people. I took on more. Uh, I ended up overseeing basically all the editorial and all the research for Working Mother Media, which is Working Mother, the National Association for Female Executives and Diversity Best Practices. And so I launched the Working Mother Research Institute and created a white papers business for a sponsored white papers and to use our leverage, our research background. But then I got to do the magazine and I took the magazine down an advocacy route to get involved in the paid leave fight and the conversation around flexible work wow. and women's uh, pay equality and pay transparency and that. And it took over the, um, relaunched the website. It got us into all these social media channels and it was great. It's be you know, being everywhere. And then, you know, after like, you know, we, I got to a certain level and, uh, the, just, there were only so many more things to learn. And, you know, you read a lot about what's happening in the industry. And I thought I started to get envious of people who had cool jobs.
0: I love this lesson here that like, just to kind of make it a career advice lesson, like when you start to get jealous of other jobs, like it sounds so obvious, but I don't think a lot of us think this way. It's like, Oh, maybe it's time for me to move. Maybe it's time for me even just to rethink what I'm doing. Maybe you don't actually want that job, but you just want a change. I like that as like a trigger in your brain of take a, oh, take a beat, think yeah. about it and be like, Oh, why am I jealous? Yes. And it might just be time for a career change. And, I love it. And it totally is.
1: And I have learned that about myself. I, I never think of it when it first hits of course, right. and then it, and then I'm oh. for like
0: a couple months. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
1: I like, oh bitter. <laughs> so that was when I started looking at digital. And the other thing I did at that point was I, um, a coach, uh, I was something through Northwestern. I had listened to this webinar talking about reverse engineering, the job you want. Wow. So, um, and it was a really interesting exercise. It is, what's the job title? Uh, w- where are you working? What size company is it? What do the offices look like? What, you know, and kind of go backwards from, uh, like, title and move down. Right. You know, are you
0: in an open space? Are you – and visualize what it looks like. That's a great exercise. I don't think anyone does that. I mean, we always talk about if you're going to interview to make sure you're, like, very aware of the environment, which I think also people don't do. But that's as far... Not to think about, like, take a step back and before you're even looking, like, what is the environment? So important. I really don't think any of us think about it when we're looking. And you, so you can see it when you when you think about it, yeah. you know? And, and
1: definitely do interviews and you take opportunities that are for you just to check it out. Right. right. have the conversations. But yes, I, it was really helped because I believe in, in our fields as creative people in communications, we could do anything. And when you start a job search, you're like, well, I could do nonprofits. Right. I could do custom, you know, sponsored, branded content. I could be the communications person for any entity. I could go into corporate. I could go into interpersonal in corporate. I could do external internal, like I could do anything. And it gets to be kind of stymieing. Oh, very overwhelming. Yeah. And, and you start your job search applying for everything. Yeah. thing. Yeah. Right? And, and then you start thinking, Oh, well that's not going to, you know, do, or, um, like when I considered like all the work I was doing at the working mother research Institute, you know, if I went down the research path as much as I liked it it's getting into the world where people have PhDs in statistics which i don't i'm the i'm the person who takes the numbers and makes a story out right, of it right you editorialize that's it. a different job than running, you know, some sort of, like, a pew research, whatever. Right. So that wasn't, you know, let's be realistic of where I can go and what I can do. So um, that reverse engineering, it was like, you know what, I want to be uh, running something. I want to be, it's new, but it's not too new because I'm, you know, I like, I have a family to support, right. and, you know. And so... Spring Street comes, and Spring Street is both a startup and and an
0: extension of an established company. right. There's the stability yeah. of the established company, but you have like all the things that you were looking for to start out and get going, and the and the team, and it's it's great. You're working in traditional media. You're working at a magazine. How did this opportunity actually come about? You knew what you wanted to do. Yep. So how did they find you? How did you find them? And how did you end up at Spring Street?
1: Uh, It was just a job listing, and so I just put in for it and uh, talked to them and did the traditional thing. And actually, it was all done by uh, Skype and Hangout because our home office is in Sydney. But it was also getting ready for that took like a year. You know, being able to talk about yourself, if you've been doing a job for a long time, it's hard to, like, narrow down the things you know how to do that they want to hear. Right. So it, the process took like two, two and a half, three months to talk to them. And they like me, I like them and, and that traditional route. But I would say it was about a year before of actually, uh, you know, talking to a lot of the women at New York Wiki, you know, and networking with women in, um, One of my fellow board members looked at my resume and said, you know, you need to show what change you brought as editor. You know, you need to be concrete. People need, you know, like, so getting that together and getting, talking about, you know, they talk about your elevator pitch. Well, it is like. Who are you? How do you describe yourself? What are the two or three words that you, you know, I need to sell myself to you. Yep. I need to make it easy for you to see me. So there was a lot. And, you you know, you're not doing it every day. You know, you have a full-time job. Right. So, you, and you go through fits and starts. But I think it, certainly there was a job. You know, I gave sent some things. But also, um, I think a big thing for me as someone coming out of traditional is knowing that I actually didn't know this stuff. Right. You know, that I do know, you know, I've worked on multiple CMS platforms. Uh, I have grown a Facebook platform. We are experimenting in Snapchat. We are, we do make video, you know, like all these elements mm-hmm. were here and we do have, we've built an online community. Like it, it's almost learning how to edit yourself because I, but I also did sponsored white papers right. and I run the working mother hundred <laughs> best, and I do you know, like all the, and like how many, just like when they say with your resume, you know, try to condense it down thinking how you think of yourself,
0: it's it's very hard because, you know, everybody wants to tell their whole story, you know. Mm -hmm. Did you, you, at this point, you're mid-career, right? You're like, you've been in a job for a long time. Was it kind of like, annoying isn't the right word, but like, oh, I don't want to sell myself. You know, I think a lot of us, we get very comfortable in our jobs, like, and all of a sudden it's really, sometimes starting from scratch, sometimes you haven't updated your resume in 10 years because you haven't looked for a new job. You know, was that kind of almost like shocking the amount of work that you felt like you had to do to look for something new at that point? Yeah. And that's why
1: I'm a big list maker, you know, and, uh, here at Spring Street too, you know, there's a lot of things we want to do. I'd love to get them all done today, but you know, Right. <laughs> you set time priorities. And, and I always think of a job search as a part-time job. So, you know, when are you going to fit in those times? I have two kids. I have other things to mm-hmm. do. Um, I'm on various boards and, right. you know, so it's like how to fit it in. But it would help me on those days where I would think, I got, I got, I got to do something yeah. to know that I was doing something proactively for myself, that it helped with my mental you know,
0: Yeah, I mean, it's very help. overwhelming. I think it's a good idea to look at it a little bit fragmented, and like mm-hmm. what you're saying in terms of Breakdown. these are the steps that we need to do or I need to do. Like, first, update my, your resume. Because I really think, especially when you have an updated your resume, even in, like, a year, it just feels so overwhelming. And I honestly think that's a barrier oh, yeah. that a lot of people can't even – get themselves yeah. past and have a full-time job. So even if it's just like, and I think it's nice, you know, you said it took a year, like it takes a lot of time. So give yeah. yourself that time. If you're going to update a section a day for a month, yeah. like fine, that's right. fine. Give yourself that time. It doesn't have to happen yeah. all at once. Oh, definitely. And um, look at those people, you know, my
1: theme, my theme of envy, look at those people with the jobs that you're interested in and look at their LinkedIn. Like right. how are they organizing themselves? What are they saying about themselves? Can you say that about yourself um then if yes then you know like what the lingo is how they're presenting themselves but also oh are there skill gaps you're like oh i don't know anything about whatever then oh maybe i should take that linda course or i should go to general assembly and you know and and teach myself yeah. that it's if you have the luxury of keeping your job because meanwhile you want to do the best you can in the job that you do have because you know god forbid it disappears because you let it slip through your fingers. You know, we all live in an era of certain job insecurity anyways. Right. So whatever, but let it not be that you you did it. You know right. that it's it's you're still working as hard as you can and being motivated in the job that you do have, but then keeping this kind of, you know, part-time job in the evening. It's your your side hustle for a while.
0: It's a really difficult timing issue of like starting to look for a new job when you're still kind of okay yeah. at your job. Right. That or feeling okay at your job, I guess. Like just, I think that's the problem. A lot of people go until they're so frustrated and getting right. me out of here right now. So it is good to think about. I'm, I'm personally an advocate of like always be open, always be open to oh, new yeah. jobs. Like even you don't have to be looking, but I think a lot of times and I did this, early in my career where it's like I never want to leave this job I don't even talk to me about anything I'm never updating my resume then when it's time to go you feel like this incredible sense of urgency but I think if you're always thinking like not always looking for a job but just open and knowing and like you're saying looking at people's LinkedIn is great advice it sounds so basic but yeah just steal what they're saying yeah (laughs) Flattery, you know, Uh, you know, you don't play dress, but you put it into your own. Right. Get
1: the the lingo down. Because whatever, you know, like you can hear my lingo with um, sponsored content, native advertising, custom publishing. These are all the same things, Mm -hmm. you know, and the lingo changes. So be current in how whatever your industry is, is talking about it. And, you know, I do think. Envy if you're not in a job where they're mean to you or you you know, you just have to go or it's the bottom's about to drop out, it is hard because it's like, well and then you blink
0: and it's another six months have gone by I know, and you're and at some point you may be desperate to go or they may have to let you go. I think it really is like that timing's hard. Just keeping an open mind though. Yes. Is,
1: and keeping fresh and and um, and then, you know, people talk about it and it's very and I didn't do it until I started thinking about, but the whole networking that, you know, I was at working mother for like seven years through the recession, through, um, we, the company was sold and it's just keep your head down, trying to get it together and do the best we can. And then you realize that you're not talking to anyone else outside of your Mm -hmm. company, you know, and maybe your couple of your college friends you still have. And so that takes a long time too, though you can accelerate it with New York Wiki, yes. with organizations like that where you can kind of come in and, and immediately you have eight connections because you went to the cocktail party. So, at you know, I totally give a thumbs up to going to like, and go to the networking time. There are all kinds of those sites, you know, bring four business cards, right. don't <laughs> leave till you give them. Those things are real because nobody likes introducing themselves right. to, except for like the Rock. He seems to be the only <laughs> one who likes to do it, or you know, or the Clintons, it, like that they're born to do that.
0: You know. Yeah, but networking—it's just so important, and it I is. think especially in New York, people feel like they don't have time. Yeah. I mean, that—that's not a unique issue to New York, but just because I'm so immersed in this, you know, the media industry here. It's vital. Yeah. It is vital. And like keeping in touch another, you know, another form of networking, it's like keeping in touch with people you used to work with. Like I used to Mm -hmm. work in magazines and all those people went to all different interesting companies and, um, you know, I just keep in touch with them and it's a very natural form of networking. I think often that's a little bit hard too to like maintain those former relationships.
1: And, and so
0: the flip side of that
1: though, is then I come to Spring Street, a new site, And, you know, so our home office is in another country and what's great is being able to bring in all that networking into here, you know, so, uh, getting advice from, from people or bringing people in as writers. That's it's. that it helps your next gig that you've made this network is that you're able to kind of bring this family with you into your new job and accelerate it and bring new ideas and and ways of thinking to your new gig, which is, that's very exciting. Yeah. Like, Ooh, I know this person or we can try that person. And, and maybe they'd like to call
0: in all your favors, call in
1: every (laughs) single favor and then be able to offer up something to help
0: them to help us. And it's, that's very exciting. You are an expert in working women, working mothers. You've worked at Working Mother for so long. What, in your opinion, are the top few kind of true issues right now that women in the workplace who are also mothers are still facing? Like, clearly, there are still battles to be fought, which is kind of crazy with the year that we're in and um, everything that's advanced. But what are some of those key issues?
1: Well, uh, you know, they're the big topics. There's certainly paid leave. Um, eighty percent of Americans polled say yes to paid leave because it's not just about working moms, it's about um, elder care issues, it's about yourself. you know, it's it's family leave in the broadest sense. Um, the ability to get flexible work, equal pay. like we know those. I mean, if you're been paying attention to anything, we know those. I think that um, one of the things that that uh, plague us is our own internal sense. I firmly believe, at least at least from my own earned experience, is that we're such good, driven women. And, you know, we come up as a generation of, you can achieve, you can be as good as the boys and the like. And so when this moment comes, and uh, say just pre- uh, maternity leave, it's such a small blip in your large career that's going to, you know, none of us are going to be able to retire, so we're going to be working forever. Right. <laughs> so, But we tend to internalize it. Like, I'll figure it out. You know, um, it's... there is a sense, there's a term in the sociology research world where they talk about you're on your own. And I think we internalize it for ourselves. A, we're getting that message from our employers sometimes. You figure it out. We're getting it from, say, women who haven't had kids that aren't thinking about it yet, and you're surrounded by them on your team, and you, know, you figure it out. Mm-hmm. And so it gets exhausting to try to always figure it out. And because I know that when I had my first... I totally figured it out in that, like, uh, I set up like what days my husband would do the pickup, what I'll do the pickup, I'll do it, and try to make it so my boss never saw me sweat. Right. And still, you know, uh, up all night with the baby and the like, and a year in, he's a lovely man, but he said to me, you know, I was worried when you had your baby, but like, it hasn't even bothered me at all. And at the time I was so proud of that as the editor of working mother, I think the hell like why didn't I ask for accommodation? Everybody should ask for accommodation mm-hmm. when they need it, and it's it shouldn't be on us. We aren't on our own. We should all be together. Working together. There's not a lot I can do. Like I can't pay you all fifty thousand more dollars a year as much as I would love to. I can't get a black town car to pick you <laughs> up at work. But what are the things that would make your life better not, and make it so you don't one day stand up and say,
0: I'm out and, and quit.
1: You know, we learn about your feelings as you're walking out the door. Right. So I launched the, I talked to everyone, uh, about what would make it better for you here. Some it's like, I'd like to start my day earlier. Some I would like to start my day later. Some, uh, one is getting an advanced degree, I need to be out at 5 o'clock nearly sharp to go pick up my youngest at elementary school because if I miss pickup, for those of you with kids, you'll know, pickup is... Uh, the time you don't mess with that. You have no choices. (laughs) It's going to cost you money and it's going to cost you the moral high ground because they Mm are going to mark you as the, (laughs) the one they don't like. So, you know, if you make my life that I can get out at five to get Owen, then everything else I'll give you 150% every other time. So what is it for everyone? And I think that's, that's something that we're all not doing. And I think that it's such a lottery for which employer you have, of, like, what benefits. There's so little that's written into our laws that protect us. You'll take a job not needing paid leave until you need paid leave or until you need, um, you know, you need flexible work, but there's no mechanism to ask for it. When Working Mother magazine launched, they were talking about the need for paid leave, like these things.
0: but, How many years ago is that?
1: <laughs> you know, but the real forward thinkers—I um, always name Chef- check her. Barbara Wankoff at KPMG. She is one of those people that make make me rethink everything every time I talk to her. You know that flexibility or whatever work-life balance is, and she calls it work-life integration. I think it's a much better term. Um, It's individual. Like Mm -hmm. you and I could be at the exact same point in our life. You know, our kids could be the same age and my setup could be, my needs could be different than yours. And so how is an employer, especially as you get big, big sets of workforces, do you do it? Well, one is to ask the questions and to think about these things. And that's a, a concern for me Um, At the startup, like I bring that because anything that helps my team helps me. It makes me look good if they're performing Mm -hmm. and they feel good about it. And it's because it's, it's about achieving our goals, but it's also achieving our lives. And so I think that's one of the things with working mother, certainly the big things of, oh, just give us, you know, healthcare and the ability to, to, come in late or shift my hours or work from home when I need to. All that is real. But I think one of the things we don't talk about a lot is how we internalize it and that a great manager will ask, you know, how's that going? What do you need? Is there something I can do to help you? And and that's where we can start a revolution as managers to start asking those questions, mm-hmm. which are, you know, takes time out of her day. Right. You know,
0: it's, it's not easy. It's to to not do it easy to be a manager in general and when it has to be individualized. But I just love that idea of like, everyone is different. It sounds so obvious, but that is not how the workplace yeah, definitely. and, and, Bring it back to
1: Spring Street. Those are the stories we want to tell. Right. You know, like one of our biggest stories last month was working with a chronic illness. And I know from my working mother time that people who have disabilities that are non-visible, that you can't see, you know, people see them as being somehow less than Mm -hmm. someone with a cane, you know, or someone who is blind, which that's a disability of itself. But you can see it and you accept it. But someone who has rheumatoid arthritis, you're like, well, really? You know, and so working with that. What an interesting topic. And is a manager ever saying, what can I do to make that work? Well, sometimes it flares. And right. on those days, I would love to work from home. Great. You're still going to be productive help me make your goal. I am totally the biggest. I founded National Flex Day, which is the third Tuesday of October, which is wow. na- National Work and Family Month, because for us to tell these stories, because seriously, you know, work from home, as long as I can as long as you produce what you need to produce and you help yes. us thrive, I really don't care where you do it.
0: And that's always been my attitude as a manager. But I think also what happens, like, because of the nature of business right now, what I see is we build walls. So we're like, I'm having a personal issue. I just can't do my work Goodbye. like, shutting down. Yeah because you don't feel like you have the ability to talk to your manager and figure it out. Yeah. And every, I have never seen success with building those walls ever. Like that yeah. doesn't work, but I think a lot of people just feel like it's the only option. It's like, I I'm just figured. Yeah. Like I'm going to miss, I have to miss this deadline just because it's my thing. Sorry. Bye. Instead of being like, let's talk about it. You know, I really can't do this. Right. How do we make yeah. it work for everyone, for the company and for me? But I think to your point, it's just really conversation. It's yeah. like having those conversations and there, I, you know i run a business i I'm, I'm passionate about flexibility yeah. i'm passionate about it it's i can't i can't be happy at work without it i can't believe personally that there are still companies that don't have it but i would say probably the majority don't like it's growing
1: it's great because also what is flexibility shifting your hours is right. the lowest you know working from home someday spot there's all different ways so it's actually broader than you might think but it might not be the way you Want it right that, that it's customized,
0: right? I could talk about this all day. I love it. <laughs> we have reached our lightning round. Oh, no! <laughs> I always get very enthusiastic about the lightning round. I am going to ask you a few quick questions and just okay, give me your first response. Um, okay, here we go. What is the best job you've ever had?
1: uh capital reporter for Women's War Daily. It's where I learned to like judge a story on my own and and be able to like communicate it back and then write it and being around all those old reporter dogs. When the reporter from the Chicago Tribune showed me his candy drawer, <laughs> I knew I was in and I, I couldn't have been more proud. So it was that was probably it. I mean every job is exciting, but that was a moment of transition yep. and, and and feeling like, "Oh, I just stepped up." And, and I can feel it. And that was very exciting. But, and I didn't want to do it. And, right. and to then do it and love it, that was very fun. That's great.
0: What's the worst job you ever had ever? It could be, you know. Uh,
1: working as a waitress at the Higby's uh, Westgate Department Store restaurant where um, our big seller was Welsh rarebit, which was like some dried up piece of bread with this cheese sauce and you put a piece of parsley on it. It was terrible. <laughs> that was disgusting. It was disgusting.
0: And I love take
1: bees, but I did not like being a waitress there. Oh,
0: you're so um, friendly and I feel like you would be such a good waitress. You probably faked it pretty well, well even if you hated it. Maybe. I don't even know. I kind of can't believe I even had that job. <laughs> <laughs> what is the best career advice you've ever received?
1: Uh, that it's just business. And I don't live by that every day because I do get too wrapped up and I do take things personally, but it's constantly in my mind that, um, uh, Michael Atmore, who's the editor of footwear news, it has a story and it's the upshot is, yeah, it's just business and that we should remember that there's more to life right, than work. And it's very hard. I don't know, you know, for us type a driven, we're going to, we'll make that deadline. It's women, it's, it's still a lesson to keep in mind. Mm -hmm. It's a great thing. It's just business. (laughs) It
0: is right. It's so simple. Great advice. And what's your most memorable office moment throughout your career? Is there just a moment that stands out to you? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm sure. Um, (laughs) you know, I can think of all, like I've cried three times, um, in frustration and I can remember all of those like one and the one like it was always in frustration, like um, oddly at the knitting and crocheting magazines.
0: <laughs> we of all had the um, jobs yeah
1: knitting was, and crocheting. It was it was sewing, and the, we were doing the client uh, publication, and they the boss said, "Oh, they were really happy with how that worked out, and it had been so stressful to whatever it was that I just." It was like relief tears. Right. And I was I was in the middle of the office just, just started to sob like it was okay. And uh yeah,
0: I I remember that, you know. <laughs> crying at work, we talked about this podcast before. It is like the most polarizing issue. It's so I like thought you should be my question. I was gonna say, how do you feel? I personally don't like crying at work. I I understand sometimes. That it just happens, and I think there's a way to frame it when it does, and yeah. obviously if there's you're having something that's just so severe going on in your life, of course, but like, you know, and I try not to, if someone's crying at work, be like, oh, judging you, you know, like, oh, you're not being professional, because like, there is so much going into it. How do you feel about crying at work?
1: Uh, You know, I don't see it an awful yeah. lot,
0: and so maybe it's happening like in the ladies room. I, I oh, don't sure. Know. Go to the bathroom and
1: see. Like, <laughs> that's where people are breaking down. I mean, it's like... Like, each of the the three times it's happened have been different employers. So, at least, like, I think, A, if it's happening to you multiple times, it's a a sign. Yeah, that's a good point. Um, But also, and if it's happening to a lot of people around you, that's a sign. Either everybody's too emotional or this place is psychotic and it's time to go. But I definitely think if you're having a moment, you're like... It's the moment, you know? It's
0: hard, because I do, like, I, I'm sure people are listening to it and think I'm so cold. It's, like, I do understand that there are times... I also think what a lot of crying at work comes from is, like, not preparing yourself for certain situations. Like, I think a lot of times the crying happens, like, if you're asking for a raise. Like, it comes at the oh, worst times, those, yeah. but it's, like, because you weren't able to prepare for like all of the scenarios, you know, and maybe you just couldn't have envisioned it. I feel like that's when it's yeah uh, where it's the worst and where you can kind of not like you can help yourself sometimes, but where you might be able to like have the conversation in front of the mirror, stop yourself when you get emotional. Like that's kind of how I try to practice that. Not not that I don't have emotional moments, but and I've had jobs where you walk in the bathroom and literally there's like four women crying in the bathroom at work. Like it's fine. It's fine.
1: Yeah. My symptom of something bigger. My thing more is uh, less about crying and what happens more regularly, not here, but has happened is flaring how I, you know, and we once, it was another wiki, a panel I was on where one of the panelists said her mantra is get curious, not furious. And I do, when I was going through some stressful times, like I would say, I actually shared it with people, like, because people say insensitive things in meetings or we comment about your team or where you take offense and you're like, what? And that I, more so that, um, I, it's, I don't know that it's polarizing, but it is something that I know I like that I have to work on. And I think it's also a sign of frustration. Like if you're flaring all the time, it's like something's not happening here, either to, that the communication's wrong somehow, or, the way you see things and the way they see things are different. And I think maybe it's the like yin to the yang of mm-hmm. crying is the flare of anger.
0: I would personally say worse than crying at work to me is yelling at work. Like if someone's oh, yelling, yeah, yeah. I'm like, I can't, I just don't respect. Well, as soon as someone yells, yeah. I'm like, I stopped listening to what you said. Like we're done here. Yeah. I really like, I've had managers who yell at me and it doesn't make me upset. It just makes me be like, okay, we're, we're done. Like I can't, you know, but I think, <laughs> you know, I, I like to call it, um, and I can't remember if we've talked about this podcast before, but like, take a beat. Like I'm always like, take a beat. Yeah. So no matter what situation you are, and that probably helps both crying and flaring, like take a second before you react because the ripple effect of your reaction could affect your career. Like it's not worth it. It's not worth it. And it's, it's hard
1: to remember, but that come, you know, with age comes hopefully some wisdom to, to be there. And, you know, I keep saying those are the types of stories because those didn't happen to me when i was younger. Yeah, it's when you're in those management meetings and it tends to be at least for me, it's something you said about my team's work. That's when, you know, the mama bear thing Right. and, and that's where i'm like, "What what did you just say?" And i'm not yelling, but i get very like, yeah. And that kind of stuff happens at that midpoint where you're starting to like like so how do you how do you defend your your team? Right. How do you How do you acknowledge the wonder of your team's efforts and not like look like you're stealing it or, but how do you also talk about it and not give up all your glory to, you know, all these things. And it's all about presenting yourself and communicating. And yeah, how do you not flare is my personal. It's
0: really interesting. And I think also like to the conversation we're having today, it probably happens more both all the emotions when you're mid career and you're dealing with all this other stuff. So it's like when you do have a family at home and you feel like all your brain is pulled a million places, I actually think that's probably where more at a more emotional time. Like you would think it might be like when you're younger and junior and green, but I really do think it's like when you're overwhelmed, like i have just seen women in the workplace, it's just, you know, and so it is kind of, it's, it's, that's hard to manage. And that's again, why it's like take a beat. Like what's really bothering me. Yeah. Is it the conversation I had with my husband this morning or is it actually this yeah. meeting? Oh, and
1: then you're, you're mid management for right. a reason because you've got pressure from above and you've got pressure from below from all, and all around. You know, and yes. now here you are. And it's like, can we tell those stories, you know, here at spring street where I love know, that. let's, let's talk about what happened, you know, what was it like in that meeting, yeah. you know, and what was it like when you had to leave because you had to make school pickup, right? you know, it's reality. I've done it. It's, t- it's not fun. Like, right. Oh, gotta go. You know, or you do the, you know, I have a hard stop at five and mm-hmm. no one, everyone says, uh-huh. And then it's like four 59 right. and it, they show no sign and you have to be the one to get up. Yep. These are the stories of your thirties.
0: I have really enjoyed this conversation. I love it. Thank you for sharing your career path. Thank you for sharing kind of behind the scenes of really what's affecting working women and mothers. Where can our listeners find you? Where can they follow you? Oh the, my best place is Twitter okay. So I'm underscore
1: Jennifer Owens All together one word um, I'm also uh, The at Spring Street U.S. Uh, US for uh, Twitter too I'm often that person as well But the underscore Jennifer Owens Is uh, I am on it all the time And talking about things for women And for working right. moms
0: Yes please listeners Join the conversation on Twitter With Jennifer this was so fabulous Thanks again for your time You've been listening to Coffee Break with New York Wiki. Thank you to our amazing team. Our producers, Kylie Harris, Chelsea Orcutt, and Chrisanne Grize; Our editors, Erin Mathewson and Chelsea Orcutt. Rachel Bowie manages marketing. Alex Fetter wrote the theme. Additional recording and editing has been done at Stoosh Studios with the help of Steve Francis. For more information about Coffee Break with New York Wiki, go to nywici.org slash podcast. I'm your host, Julie Hochheiser-Ilkovich. Thank you for listening.